So as we dive into this text, we're going to talk into the fact of sometimes you just need to be free from the past. You just need to be freed from your past. Let's go ahead and read the section of scripture. He dives in and is going to share with us and challenge the church into understanding how do you go from here to here and how can you be free from the past stuff that does that in your life. Let's go ahead and read. One, two, three. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might as well let themselves be murdered. Woo, that's crazy, huh? He's pretty passionate about this, talking about mutilated. If you know what circumcision is, that's pretty intense. Um, so our spiritual tattoo we want to look at today is to experience freedom, we need to deal with competing bondage. To experience freedom, we need to deal with competing bondage. Father, as we dive into your word, we recognize that your word is holy. Your word for thousands of years, Lord. We have original manuscripts even over the last little time uh, period in history we have experienced and and encountered so many more manuscripts that when we look back this English translation that we have is reliable there is no other book ever written in the history of the world that has the manuscript receipts that your word has and Lord we don't need that to validate or to get us to believe but it does help us to show that what you say to be true is actually true. And your word is true. So I pray, Lord Jesus, today you would sanctify us in your word. Holy Spirit, we need you to even open our hearts and minds to understand your revelation. Illuminate our, our minds to know what you're saying in your scriptures and how that applies to us today. So, Father, we thank you. Prepare our hearts and minds. Help me to make this clear and plain so that we would understand what it means to function from a place of acceptance in the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You can be seated as we, as we dive in here. I wanted to want to start with um, how many of y'all growing up loved uh, rolling in race car, uh, uh, go-karts? Y'all ever roll go-karts or mopeds or any of that stuff. Yeah, like I loved that growing up, right? I loved going on go-karts. And, so, um, and so it's interesting about when you go to some of the places that you gotta pay to play and ride, you go and you're driving and the go-karts feel, you know, you're real young and they're like, man, this is great. Like, I'm loving this. I actually get into something that I can steer and I can press the gas pedal and I'm actually going, right? And then as you grow up a little bit, you get back in the go-kart and you're like, go, right? Y'all like, like, come on, like, go faster with this. Like, you come to a place where you want to experience the fullness of what that engine can do, right? 
Am I alone on that? You're like, I, I just want to do that. It's interesting as I begin to look at is, is engines have governors on them, right? And so as you're going, there is a governor on that engine that is preventing you from experiencing the fullness of what that car can actually do. And I think that's what Paul is getting at is oftentimes in our spiritual life and in our practical life, we have some baggage and bondage all up in our lives that is experiencing, uh, that's preventing us from experiencing the fullness of freedom in Christ. And you will start asking as a result, you're saying, well, uh, there's got to be more. Y'all ever been there before? There's got to be more. There's got to be more to Jesus. There's got to be more to this thing that I see called Christianity. There's got to be more. And Paul is saying to this early church, he's saying, if you want to experience more, I got to walk you through some of the bondage areas that you have in your life. Let me help you take off the governors of your Christian life so that you can begin to understand. Let me take off the governors of your life, maybe so you can see Jesus clearly, maybe even for the first time. Let me, let me take off the governors of what, what it looks like. And this is what, in order, he says, he's going to walk in through this text. He says, in order to deal with competing bondage, he's going to walk through three points. The first of these, he says, as he dives into chapter 5, will be in, beginning in verse 7, he says that you've got to realize the severity of the bondage. Okay, you've got to realize the severity of the bondage. So look what he says in uh, verse 7. As, look, you were running well, church in Galatia. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. He says, look, church, you were running well. You, you got to the place in your life where you understood that the gospel meant you died to this in hopes that this stuff would clean you up and make you right. Right? He says, you turn from that, you turn to Christ, and you say, faith in Christ gives me acceptance, right? And it begins to change me. Not because I, I can just think about it in my mind, but literally something in your soul shifts because you've surrendered from trying to do it on your own strength, and you've surrendered to the King of Kings. And now he says, when you experience that, you then begin to understand glimpses of what it means to function from acceptance. He says, you were running well. You, you were running in that lane. Who cut in on you? Who, who came in and began to get you off? Now, when we think about track, if, if we have any track and field runners in here, you've got the, the track that you would run around, right? So you run around the track, but back in the day, here's what happened. They didn't have a track. They had a straight line. So they would go to Bobby. They'd run. Psh, psh, psh. They would get to Bobby, they turn around and come back this way. Here's the thing about this. They ran in a straight line, would turn around and run back, and it was easy for someone to cut in on them. Right? They didn't have multiple lanes. They would cut in on them, and they would begin to get off course and running this way or knocked off the course. And he's saying, he's using this imagery, this saying, who cut in on you? You were running towards freedom. You were experiencing freedom. You were doing it from forgiven of sin, walking in the freedom that God has in Christ Jesus. Your life was beginning to change, but who cut in on you? 
And so he, he, he begins to get in. He says, something has cut in on you to get you back into bondage again. It's like this, another way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and they were being led astray by these super apostles that were preaching inspirational messages, and they had all the money, and they were great orators. And Paul was like, no, that's not the mark of a true apostle. The mark of a true apostle is different. It, it actually d displays something of suffering and difficulty. It calls you to repentance. It calls you to a greater hope that says, don't just try to put a wax job on a broken car. you got to reframe and get a whole new engine in it. He says, don't forget that. Here's what he says in the church in Corinth. In a similar vein, it kind of teases out, what is he saying of who cut in on you? He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4, he says, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve... By his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? You, the, the serpent deceived Eve by the cunning, cut in on Eve's enjoyment of God's fellowship. Cut in and deceived her so that he says, and, and, and I fear that your minds may also be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus because you started falling for these dudes that ain't even preaching the gospel. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that you're moving away from the freedom that comes with pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. And then watch what he says. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, how many of y'all know there could be other Jesuses, in fact, we have pictures of other Jesuses that don't actually represent the Jesus of the Middle East, who's the Jesus of Nazareth, who came and died for us. There are images that we create Jesus in our image so that we can say, Jesus, we, we need you to be complicit with what we want to do. We need your power to give us the grace to do what we want to do. Y'all been there? Am I alone? This is the reality. It's not just the systemic misunderstandings uh, 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 of Jesus, but it's in our lives. We want Jesus to do what we want. All of a sudden we say, you can be Savior, but I don't want you to be Lord. All right? So he says, for if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach. Makes it plain. It's going to be the same thread of what we're going through. Or you receive a different spirit which you had not received or a different gospel. Did you get that? A different gospel. That's what's going on in the church in Galatia. There are spiritual people that will preach certain things, but if it's not what we're talking about, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, it's a different gospel. Okay? We have to call that out. That's why today when people are like, I thank God, I'm like, Who's go who, what God are you thinking? Like Jesus, this and that. What Jesus are you talking about? All right? So he says, which you had not accepted, he says, you put up with it splendidly. Church, you started getting so comfortable with things that are not of Jesus that it became Jesus for you. It became your Savior for you. It became what gave you comfort. And he's saying, look, Paul into the church in Galatians, he's saying a similar thing where he's saying someone or something has cut in to lead you astray from pure and sincere devotion to the true Jesus and the true gospel. Someone, he says, what is it? What is cut in on you? Because he knows, he says, look, church in Galatia, church in Corinth. He says, to the church today, Epiphany. Another way is, if you don't <clears throat> recognize the severity of the bondage, then you won't understand your need to be delivered. Jesus already saved me, but we got a whole bunch of bondage in there. And do we really know what Jesus saves us from and why? 
What is freedom that he's getting at? So here's the thing. <clears throat> in, in verse 7, verse 7 through uh, the beginning part of verse 7 through 9, here's what he's going to break down. He says there are three things that he highlights as necessary to consider in order to see the severity of your lie. So if we're going to look at point one, that we have to realize the severity of the lie that has led to bondage, that, has, that we're trapped by. Here's what he says. Look what he says. Three things. He says the first one in verse seven, he says, you need to acknowledge the bondage and its source. Got to name it for what it is. This is why he says, who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? of what it means to be free in faith in Christ. In other words, persuaded, if we defined it, is like this. It's to obey with the connotation of being persuaded that the course of action is correct. Who cut in on you, early church, to move you away from understanding and embracing the reality that you were on the right course? You were obeying the gospel and experiencing glimpses of freedom who cut in and told you that that course is not worthy of pursuing? Who told you that's not the path of experiencing freedom from being accepted? Who told you that? Right? And, 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 and so for the Galatians, here's what's going on for them. They come from a pagan background. Okay? So watch this. The Galatians worshipped a whole bunch of other gods in their pagan days, right? Pagan means that they just weren't worshiped the one and true God, okay? So you have the, 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 the pagans, they were just pagans. They were worshiping all these other gods and they learned to relate to the other gods in a way that says, I just need to like prove myself to this God. And I have to do this ascetic practice to, for this God. And I need to do this to my child for this God, to appease this God. And what's happening, they have been conditioned for years, if not decades, about that's how you relate to God. They had not only images, and then here's the thing about that. During those times, the household was to reflect the Roman Empire. Okay? So in other words, they would also learn from their parents and their family the ways of those gods. Mind you, what you learn from relationships in your life will impact and influence how you view and understand God. Make sense? So the Galatians are like that. They're like, this is how we relate to God. We do all this kind of, as Pastor Doug says, some shuka shuka stuff that we're trying to, you know what I'm saying? You're trying to like do all this crazy stuff to please the gods. And then that impacts how you're relating to others. Manipulation comes in. And, and, and I just want to please people. Because that's what it means. My whole life is about pleasing other people, and I just can't live up to it. So here's the thing. Imagine that's their background. Then what happens? Faith in Christ comes in, and they get a glimpse of the beauty of, wait, wait, hold on. I'm accepted because Jesus did everything? Like that, that don't make sense, right? But, but they're beginning to embrace it. Now, if I can look into what happens here, let's say that you're in that place. The Galatians experience that, and then all of a sudden, what happens? The, the circumcision party comes in, and what do they say? Jesus ain't enough. Jesus ain't enough. He, and so what happens is that the lies that enter in trigger something from their past. You catch, did you catch that? There are things, if you've been shaped in stuff for decades of your life, and Jesus begins to show the gospel to them and to us, there's usually some areas of woundedness 
and patterns of thinking. That's why Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He was saying this to Christians. There are patterns and strongholds that we develop from the world, from our experience, and then we trust Jesus. We're like, this is good news. And then what happens is that someone comes in and begins to say a lie. You're not good enough. God didn't really create you in his image. You have to prove more to him. God begin, And so what happens is that, what does that do? It brings up that stuff. And we have to ask the question, who cut in on you? What stuff, what family patterns are influencing you more than God the Father in Christ Jesus is teaching you about who he is? What, what has shaped your view of God that now has come up again and the governor has been placed on and you're like, I need more. Let me just try more. And then he's saying, but hold up. I need you to realize that when that comes up, it's a lie. <laughs> he begins to say, you need to name it for what it is. Name that thing that is coming up, that is placing a governor on you and you don't know what to do. And Paul is saying the first thing to address that bondage is to name what it is. How many of y'all have a hard time naming when something comes up and it's triggered in your life? And it shapes the way you view God. I know God, I know intellectually what the gospel is, but right now I'm having a hard time experiencing that he actually is that. And sometimes it's because there's some stuff that he's saying, I want to take some governors off of your engine of your Christian faith. But can we trust him enough to say, can we name it? Can we name it? And then he goes down, he says, not only do we need to acknowledge it and name it, watch this, you need to acknowledge it is not from the Lord. Look what he says. This persuasion does not come from the one who called you. Sometimes we get so comfortable and those lies, they're coping mechanisms, and they become a part of our well-being and fabric that we have a hard time saying that's actually not from the Lord. I'm so used to running back to that thing that I don't know what I would do in life without that thing. And it keeps knocking me off, but like, I don't know what life would be like if I actually named it wasn't from the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to name some stuff of the flesh. Sometimes you've got to say that's from Satan. Sometimes you've got to say that's a pattern of the world, and I can't be complicit with it. So what is it? He says you need to acknowledge it's not from the Lord. And it's interesting, just because it looks good and feels good for a while or makes me feel I'm more accepted or I have greater purpose or I can use that to avoid difficulty doesn't mean that it's from God. Y'all, we got to have some discernment. There are some things that we've become normal because we're like, oh, if I take off the governor, like I'm kind of scared. I don't know if God could keep me. <laughs> I don't know if he's true for who he is. Hey, and he's saying, I, I need you guys to acknowledge that just because it feels good, it feels more comfortable, it makes me feel more at peace. Because I'm telling you, sometimes the peace you get is not from Jesus. <laughs> That's why you got to get into this book. Because how do we begin to make decisions? It can't just be, do I have a peace? Paul's stuff was, Paul's like, I'm in turmoil. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm being beaten and persecuted. Do you think Paul had peace? He knew he, he, knew he was doing what God had clearly called him to. Then he said, so, so we want to know, like, we got to acknowledge it. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it produces freedom in you. 
All right? And he says, not only that, but look at you need to acknowledge its negative impact. Look at what he says. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. You see, these kinds of lies, these strongholds, these things we run to or things that are triggered and we're like, I don't know if God can handle whatever. The things, watch this. If they're not addressed, they will negatively impact your life. They will become a part of your entire matrix of decision making. Watch this. It, 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 it begins with a few bad decisions. It begins from the place of saying, I'm going to go back and I, I need to kind of prove myself. And then as I'm beginning to prove myself, like I, I don't really think about others. And so I, I need to prove myself because I'm not sure if God loves me. So I can't depend upon his goodness. So I got to go to a strategy to try to cope with it. Then what happens because it's not a faith, it's out of fear. Then we begin to function in a way that is actually being a bad decision because we're not functioning from faith. We're making decisions based on the flesh and as we make decisions based on the flesh that leads to a bad decision if we don't let God begin to show what's going on with this areas then we will continue to let the severity of that lie have its impact which continues to destroy us does that make sense and so here's what he says look it begins with a few bad decisions when we don't go through the process of acknowledging it it's not from the lord we have to realize that if we stay there and don't go through the process it will destroy the whole decision making process watch this it'll eventually lead you to make decisions that don't reflect the heart of christ why because you had moved away from the sufficiency of jesus over here jesus is not enough so let me go add something over here just in case it's not enough for me to be acceptable to God and to one another. In following another Jesus and another gospel, you don't really have assurance that he has given acceptance and will be with you. Because that kind of Jesus sounds like some other stuff that says, well, you have to prove yourself. So you re never really know if you're accepted. So you're always trying to please something. You're, always you you're not content in God's ways. So you're always running. You're always running. Something bad comes up. You avoid it. You run from it. And as you avoid it and run from it, your strategy is, i got to go to my own natural ability to actually make myself work this situation out. And as a result, I distance myself from the actual Jesus and his church. Am I in the house today? Y'all understand? This is very important, y'all. Like, if, if that becomes the reality, we go to our own strategies. And, and instead of being free in Christ's security and acceptance, you begin to live a life of self-preservation. If I'm not free, I have to preserve myself. That makes sense? That's why when the, when the Christians are experiencing freedom, as we look at coronavirus, we look at stuff, and I, I'm still praying about this, Lord, I give me freedom with such, such a certainty that heaven is a better inheritance. The new earth is going to be a better inheritance. That in, in, when the Christians got that, and they were functioning from acceptance and something so much better. Guess who stayed behind in the bubonic plague? When all the rich aristocrats dipped out and used their money to save themselves, they left their wives, they left their kids, they left their concubines, because that was all going on back then, right? They left, and who stepped in to fill that void? Christians. They spent time with the broken, the vulnerable, those that might die soon because they said, if I die, I have a better inheritance and I know my God can provide. 
I know he can. This is not a call to not be wise about this situation. But it's a call to say, if we're not experiencing freedom in the gospel, we will function in self-preservation. That's the outcome of when uh, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And all of a sudden, we don't really leaven the, uh, put off the freedom that comes in Jesus to the world. Like those Christians, they're all about themselves. Have you heard that before? Yeah? Come on, am I? No? No one's heard that before? Some of us have? I've heard that a lot. We, there are times when we're, we're just for ourselves. Our outreach is, let me just get it for the members only. Does that make sense? We put our members only jackets on, right? Like, you know, there's a purpose for covenant community. Y'all remember members only jackets? Y'all don't? All right, good. No? All right. Yeah, you said I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? That's real. But, but I think that's, <laughs> that's something for us to look at, right? It's like the acceptance on that. And so I think here's the thing about that is that when self-preservation kicks in, you are needing to functionally fend for yourself, which doesn't reflect the freedom to serve others. That is key to the aspect of gospel freedom. I remember, let me make this point here, with those three steps as we look at those. Um, the severity of the lie is so important because I remember sitting down, and the house we, we, we rented out when we first moved back to L.A. And there was, uh, we had a backyard, backyard area. And I, I would go out there often and sit down and just kind of pray and rest and kind of uh, like read some and stuff. And so as I'm sitting there, I remember we had a little rose garden area, right? So there's this rose garden. And I'm used to seeing the roses come up. And I'm like, man, this is dope. I love looking at creation. It just kind of kind of puts me at peace. I rest a little bit in God's goodness. He's still in charge of everything. So I'm sitting back there, and this time I notice um, that there's like some types of new like blue purplish flowers. I'm a little colorblind, so I don't remember it was blue or purple. <laughs> but I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm looking at these, and as I'm sitting back, I'm like, man, those are some beautiful flowers. Like, that's dope. I, I don't see those very often. I'm, I'm used to seeing the nice, robust rose flowers and I, I didn't really see them but I saw these 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 new flowers that were going up there and as I'm sitting back I'm like man that's a good amount of them that's pretty cool like that is really beautiful and then here's the thing it, my, my interest was so stirred up that I, I walked up and as I began to peer into the situation there I noticed that those beautiful flowers were not from plants but were from weeds and, and then as I began to look into the weeds underneath these temporary flowers that would last a couple days and wither, and then the weeds would die. Be, beneath all those tall weeds was the rose bush. Rose bush was being sucked to death. There wasn't enough water for the rose bushes because the weeds that looked good for a little bit were actually taking all the water away from the rose bush. And so the rose bush couldn't produce the beauty that it was intended to produce because the weeds were sucking the life out of it. And what's going on is these weeds, unless, if I just sat back there and marveled at them and said, man, those are cool, and I went back into that house, those weeds would have died. I would have liked them for a minute. But when I look and think about it, the rose bush would have wilted more and more and more and might have even died itself. This is what he's saying. If you don't tend to the severity of these lies, then your vibrancy, and, and at some point it might have been, did you really know Jesus? 
Or did you just have an idea about him and you trusted him, but did you give him, did you place your confidence fully in him and him alone? And this is a call to say, look to Jesus, whether it's seeing him for the first time or whether it's I've seen you, but these things are coming up that I'm scared to death to name them weeds. God is saying, now's the day. I need you to begin to embrace this reality and see the severity of these lies. Whether the weeds can be past events or people that have been choking out the truth of the gospel. Or the weeds can come from people and messages that have impacted your understanding of the gospel. Whatever it is, whether it's people or whether it's messages that are systemic that have been abused. What is it that has shaped your understanding of King Jesus? Do you see Yeshua Mashiach of Nazareth for who he is as the scriptures reveal? Or have you conformed him to your image? That's what he's trying to get at. Because here's the thing. He says, you need to realize the severity of the bondage or else dryness. Bondage will be the cadence of your life. He says, once you do that, watch this. Once you realize the severity of the bondage, it doesn't just stop there. When God begins to point those things in our lives, he says, I'm not stopping there. Here's what he says. He says, once you begin to name the area that's coming up, the lies that have been fed in, the things that have cut in to distort the gospel in your mind, to show you you're not enough, he says, you got to realize the truth in the Lord, verse 10. You have to realize the truth of the Lord. Look at verse 10. It says, he says this, I myself am persuaded in the Lord, you will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. This is interesting. Look at this word persuaded. If you look at this text, persuaded comes up a couple of different times. Okay? Look what persuaded gets at. That, that persuaded, I myself am persuaded in the Lord. This is also seen in verse 7. What prevented you from being persuaded? Okay? To, to walk in that course of action of obeying that that is the truth for freedom, faith in Christ. He says, so persuaded, it's interesting, it's a passive verb. I was like, hold up, like, I, I didn't, like that's, that's confusing at times. What hindered you from being persuaded? It seems like it would be something that you would be doing, right? I'm persuaded, so it's you persuading. Does that make sense? Or you're, so here's the interesting thing about this. The passive verb indicates that their ability to obey the gospel and be persuaded of freedom is a work of God. I, I, I'm persuaded in the Lord that you're not going to give in to this stuff indefinitely. He uses the future tense that someday you're going to come to your right mind and repent and understand that the governor you have on, that God is bringing up, will not produce freedom. I'm persuaded in the Lord. Why? Because when he was in the sphere of the Lord, he could see clearly about freedom. When you're experiencing freedom, you can speak freedom to other people. Amen? So, so when you're experiencing freedom, so Paul is chilling. He says, I'm persuaded in the Lord. In other words, I'm so in the sphere of the Lord, in union with Christ, I'm clearly seeing that anything you have of salvation is a work of God. The fact that you even came to know Jesus is a work of God. If it's a work of God, he says to the church in Philippi, what God started, he's going to bring it to pass. So if God started something, he's going to bring it to pass. 
Here's the thing about the persuaded. He says, not only do I know that what God started in you is going to be work of come to, to pass, he says, I'm entering into the conversation with you with that confidence. When you don't have the confidence that you need right now, I'm entering in with confidence because I'm experiencing it. Sometimes we, each of us, are caught up in sin. That's what Galatians says later on, chapter 6. If any of you is caught up into sin, let him who is spiritual restore you in a spirit of gentleness, knowing that you could fall to the same thing. Right? So he says, here's the thing. The spiritual person, like Paul, navigates that he enters in with the freedom of acceptance in Christ to enter into those that have been bamboozled to think that bondage is freedom. And lovingly comes around as brother and sister and says, yo, man, I love you, but I've, I've noticed that I've seen this kind of cadence going on. How are you doing? Let me talk with you about this. Let me get into the word of God with you about this. Why? Because we're more passionate about seeing each other experience the freedom in Christ and walking with him than self-preservation. I am more passionate about someone saying, I don't want to hear that from you because I, I, I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to say, I want, my job as a pastor and the one another's in the church is to be about presenting a church that is holy and pure, that is finding life in Christ more than anything because life gives off life. Jesus lovers give off the grace of God. Death doesn't get off life. So we need to be in there, like Paul was, to say, how do I enter in and begin to realize that the truth of the Lord is, is that he's doing a work in you. So when the lie comes up, here's the next part. When the lie comes up, don't go to your old strategies. Since your persuasion, Paul's like, what left you from the persuasion? Paul says, I'm persuaded, which in other words says, it is a work of God doing the work. Since it's a work of God, don't try to go to your own strategies when you mess up. When you sin, when you find there's bondage, don't try to go to some sinful strategies or, or function out of your woundedness to heal your woundedness. You come before the king of kings and you come before one another to actually begin to experience the work of God that says, I'm not done with you. Since I'm not done with you, don't go to these things to try to find your freedom, believers. You need some clarity of Jesus in this. And so he goes down, he says, it's, it's the bondage. In other words, at some point, you come to the point when God begins, like in the church in Galatia, he says, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have to stop running. Stop running to that stuff. Stop running to your work to avoid your grief. Stop running to, to 50 million relationships that aren't helping your process. Stop running to disorderly conduct to try to bring order to your life. Here's the thing. We can't see it all. That's why we need each other. That's where the church is messed up. We've, we've, we've overly individualized stuff. And as a result, we're a bunch of individuals trying to make sense of this, but we're a bunch of individuals that are hurted and wounded that are having governors in us. And we're like, there's got to be so much more. And he's saying, yeah, acknowledge the brokenness, acknowledge the lie, come to the truth of Christ. It's a work of God. You don't have to run anymore. Come today. Bring it to him and to his church that will say, yes, you're accepted, not based on how, what you did or what you didn't do, but what Jesus has done. When he gets a hold of you, you're always growing, but it's based on the work that he's doing in you. 
Okay, this is what, is what God is getting at. So he says not only, not only uh, does that happen, not only does he have confidence that he'll come back, but he says the bondage will be held accountable as well. These people who are, look, look what he says here. He says in that, that, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. In other words, the one that is confusing you is actually going to pay the penalty. If the one that's confusing you is going to pay the penalty, why do you want to keep running to that? <laughs> See, he's saying, look, it's a work of God. Run back. Don't go to the lies. I'm confident. But I'm also going to tell you this to, to beef up my confidence in the Lord's work is that's going to be punished. Those things can't do what God alone can do through Jesus Christ. I remember, I remember <clears throat> Zechariah, you know, Zechariah loves, my, my boy loves to help us. And, and it's interesting about one time there's, um, we have heavy bags that were coming from the bag, the car. And he's like, Daddy, Daddy, let me take that one. Let me take that one. I said, okay, son, it's heavy, but all right, like, go, go and try it, right? So he grabs the bag and he's, he's carrying it and he's struggling, right? Like, oh, like if you've seen Zechariah, he tries to lift stuff and it's so dope. But then he's like, oh, I'm tired. And so he tries it a couple different times. And this particular time, he just got frustrated. He started walking off. I can't. Hey, I can't do this. <laughs> I just can't do it. So here's the funny thing about it. I get down. I said, son, son, come here, come here, come here. Daddy's going to help you with this. And I'm trying to, I like, don't, don't, you don't have to do it on your own anymore. Daddy's got you on this. Come try the right way. Come try the way that you know you can lift this up. And I, I put my hand on the bag, and he puts his hand on the outside of mine. And we begin to lift and as we lift, he's not lifting anything. <laughs> but as we lift, I got all the weight, but he's got so much joy. I'm doing it, Daddy. Good job, son. You're doing it. You got it, right? And, and, and that's what, what happens is that Zechariah has some areas of limitations that he was still trying to run to his own strength. And he couldn't do it. It led to frustration. He couldn't. And so that's what Paul is like. I know you're not going to stay there. And this is what the gospel says. Come and start realizing it's a work of God. Stop doing it on your own. Stop trying to get everybody to accept you. Stop trying to do good things and let God accept you. Good things need to come from God already accepting you. That's freely serving God. That's freely. We need to be a church that is freely serving Christ. And that means we got to understand what it means to be rooted in the hope of the gospel. You're already accepted. Once you repented of sin and you place your confidence in Jesus, you're already acceptable. If you're accepted to him, you're acceptable to your ch the church. Now, the church doesn't need to deal with sin, but it goes based on what God is doing. And it's called to always come back. Don't try it in the own way. Let's try to come up. You trust Jesus. It's his work that's doing it. And I think the, the, the last one he says is because here's the thing. He says you got to realize that the truth, when you begin to understand the truth, that, that it's a work of God, that'll be held accountable. Come back and let him do it. you got to realize the truth is offensive to the lie. you got to realize it ain't going to be easy. This is not peaches and cream where it's like I'm smooth sailing now. I trusted Jesus and now like nothing's going to come at me. And I, I'm always in the truth, right? This is a daily grind of trust moment by moment. Here's what he says. You got to realize that the truth is offensive to the lie. Look what he says in 11 to 12. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let them be themselves be mutilated. 
Now, brothers and sisters, he says, look, if I, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? What was going on? Why did they go around thinking that Paul was preaching circumcision? And here's the thing. Paul said circumcision or uncircumcision, as we talked about last week, doesn't make you right with God. Right? We talked about cultural expression being a beautiful thing, but the minute that we take that, it becomes our identity. It becomes a non-gospel thing. And all of a sudden, if you don't conform to the way that I do things, or I speak, or what I look at things, right, how I do things, then you don't belong here. You're not accepted. Right? That's why we, we, we end up taking those, those identities, the political identities. We, we take uh, class identities. We even take racial identities. We take ethnic identities. We take all these things. And, they're, and a lot of those are good. But here's the thing. Remember last week? The minute we take them and they become my core identity, all of a sudden, if you don't do it like this, if you don't set the chairs up like this, <laughs> If you don't play the song like this, what else? If you don't hold your baby like this, right? If you don't let me hold your baby when it's a newborn, okay? Like, if you don't do it like this, like, all of a sudden I'm like, well, you're doing it wrong. Well, well hold up. Really? I think we have to start asking those questions. So he's, he's getting at it saying, like, the, the thing is, is that um, we have to begin to realize that uh, that's going to happen all the time. We're going to be prone to let those lies become our identity. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like no, no, how we work through this stuff anyways. So he says, if I'm still preaching this, so Paul is saying, I say that to say this, is Paul is saying he would preach that circumcision and uncircumcision didn't make you right with God. But since he was preaching the gospel to the Jews and said you could still be circumcised, they were going around saying, well, He's preaching circumcision, right? So, so here's the thing. He's coming in and he's saying, no, no, no. If I was preaching, preaching circumcision, I wouldn't be persecuted right now because I would compromise with the lie and therefore I wouldn't be persecuted. Let me make this plain. In other words, here, here's, here's what he's doing. Paul is saying on the tip of, of circumcision, he says, the lie that circumcision is necessary to be saved because I was trying to clarify the lie and I talked about it's okay to use that lie in its proper context. It's okay to get circumcised, but a lie will always take those that are trying to clarify the lie and put them in one camp. So, so in other words, he, he, he comes in and he, and he, and he, and he says... Um, the lie will always try to take the truth and conform it to its lie. So if you stand for the truth and you're balancing two camps, you're going to be placed in one camp and someone is going to want to get you in that camp. Okay? So the lie, when you face the lie, it will always try to conform the truth you have to itself. You've got to be aware of that. It, it, it'll always try to do that. And so, uh, it, it's, it's not, but look at this. In circumcision, it was preaching circumcision. So he's preaching that Christ is alone. And he says, I don't preach circumcision because that would have been giving in to the lie. If I gave in to the lie, they wouldn't be persecuting me. But since I'm being persecuted, I am on the right track. Since I'm on the right track, I'm not going, and I'm on the right track because the cross empties you of any ability in your own effort to do it in your own efforts. 
So when he says, I'm preaching the cross, if I preach the lie, if I conform to the lie, if I let the lie convince and show me what was really the truth, I would give up the cross. But I'm not giving up the cross because the cross is the very thing that begins to make you realize that everything that you thought was the place of freedom is emptied of its power. The things you used to run to, you can run to them for so long, but they're not going to produce in you what you need to. And he's saying, you've got to know the cross. Paul's like, I'm passionate about preaching the cross because the cross gets at the place in you where you begin to say, all the things I ran to, they can't do it anymore. And it's offensive, isn't it? When God begins to get at things in your life that you used to run to, you used to run, well, for them it was circumcision. For others, it was uncircumcision. For those, it was we gather on Saturday. Some said we gather on Sunday. Some say we sing songs like this. We use pews. We use chairs. We wear suits. We wear shorts. And everybody all of a sudden is going back and forth and dancing like this. And, and all of, it's like, what are y'all doing? Y'all have emptied the cross of its power when you've identified with that because you're relying on that to be your well-being. And if we do that, that is going to disturb and destroy the witness of the church to the world. And it will be a governor on your life over and over and over. And today the Lord is saying, he says through Paul, he says, man, I'm so passionate about this. I'm done pleasing people. I wish those dudes would cut themselves off from having influence in your life. And that's my prayer for us. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that those things that people are telling you, the lies, that don't conform to the gospel, the stuff that comes up from woundedness. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that God in the gospel would wipe that clean and cut that stuff off from you. We need to experience freedom. And that means today the cross says it offends us because I realize I don't have what it takes. I have some lies in my life. I have some strongholds in my life. I've grown up around things of Jesus, but I think I've had a distorted understanding of Jesus. And it's evidenced in the way I'm living my life. And I, 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 I talk about God, but do I know the God of the, living, the, of the Bible, the living God that sent himself in Jesus of Nazareth? Do I know him? And today, God is calling us to say, won't you let it down? Won't you let your life be empty of its own striving so that it might be filled in the cross that satisfies humanity. Can you do that today?